Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep The Hashish Man by Lord Dunsany. First published in, I believe, 1910 in a collection called uh, A Dreamer's Tales. And um, this is a really fun, very brief short story by uh, a very popular writer of his day. Um, I go writing under the name Lord Dunsany. Um, his name on his passport probably read um, Edward Plunkett or Edward Morton Drax Plunkett. Um, I don't uh, – have we done a story by him before? I, I don't think so. Or if we have, it was a long time ago. <laughs> we did The Highwaymen. The Highwaymen, of course. forgot about The Highwaymen. Right. So what, what did you think of this story, Eric? This was uh... – a story that, well, I enjoy the writing. Uh, that is to say, the the sound of the sentences. There is a uh, a fluidity to Dunsany's work that is always captivating. And given the identification of his work with uh, magic and fantasy, I think his most famous. Uh, collection is the Sword of Welleron, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, his most famous novel is The King of Elfland's Daughter. Um, the fact that his writing has a certain kind of song to it reminds us of the connection between music and enchantment. Mm-hmm. Um, so The Hashish Man is a story in a way about enchantment, but it's not enchantment uh, via music. It's enchantment via drugs. I like the story because of its music. I like the story because of the larger issues that it raises about storytelling and imagination. But to be candid, um, I think the story as a plot is is pretty thin. Uh, the way I read it, Jesse, uh it begins with a first-person narrator. I was at dinner in London the other day. The ladies had gone upstairs and no one sat on my right. On my left, there was a man I did not know, but he knew my name somehow, apparently, for he turned to me after a while and said, I read a story of yours about Beth Mora in a review. Of course, I remember the tale. So we've got a first-person narrator. The first-person narrator has dinner in London with with ladies who go upstairs at the end of dinner, but the men remain downstairs. Obviously, these are upper middle class or aristocratic types. Um, The main character, the the narrator, um, is a writer, and he's a writer of things that are fantastic. I read a story of yours about Beth Mora. There is no Beth Mora, uh, except, (laughs) you know, in this story uh, by Lord Dunsany. So I is sort of like Dunsany. And yet it's not the author because this is not a real experience that happened to the author. So he's projecting a sense of himself into this character. So one of the things I like about the story is that it raises questions about the relationship between author and narrator, between narrator and characters. Mm -hmm. So this guy who says, I read a story of yours, um, then goes on not to tell him how terrific it was, but to tell him that he (laughs) got the facts of the story wrong. And the only facts we have 
explained about the story that I wrote, the Dunsany um, offspring, um, is that this city of Beth Mora had been emptied by some message sent to it. Um, but this guy who's encountering the eye uh, tells that he himself has gone to Beth Mora and knows that the story is wrong, that um, it wasn't, in fact, um, Guy uh, Goon, what's the, the name of that, that plague that, um, that hits? Oh, yeah, N- Nura? Uh, Nusar. Yeah. The sickness of Nusar. Yeah, right. And he says, nope, it wasn't that at all. Um, it was something else. And of course, there is no such sickness either. If you do Google search right. for it, the only place in the world you'll find it is in this story. It's all that's made right. up stuff. But nope, that's not what it is. It was something done by uh, this terrible emperor, Thuba Malin. She's got mm-hmm. all these made up pulpy names and places and so on. So most of this story that is the printed story, is the inner narrator telling of his experiences in Beth Mora. But the key thing is that he only can get to Beth Mora by taking hashish, which allows him to have an out-of-body experience through which he goes as a consciousness to see what's going on in Beth Mora. Now, he gets the hashish from um, a sailor whom he meets uh, in a bar. And when he goes after the, the sailor takes off after a while on a boat, um, but he had the sailor tells him about Beth Mora. Our inner narrator says that when he gets to Beth Mora, son of a gun, he sees that sailor there. So now I know that I'm going to find out what that message was that emptied the place. Um, and the fact is, we never find out what the message was. The story ends. Uh, the story ends with our guy having been sort of attacked by other spirit beings. That is, his consciousness in Beth Mora is sort of attacked by real people there who also then eat hashish so that they can become spirits and go and attack him. But uh, but he gets away. And at that point, we go back to the outer um, the outer story. Um, where our I narrator says that uh, while they're sitting there, the men, um, there's a knock at the door. A servant comes in and says that the host is wanted downstairs. We haven't heard of the host before in the story, but clearly wherever the men and ladies are having dinner, it's in someone's establishment. And the host gets up, goes downstairs. They hear heavy padding feet. Um, and maybe it's the police, right? Um, the guy who's been telling the story, the inner narrator, goes to the window, says, um, I think it should be, I should think it will be a fine night. He then jumped out. He jumps out the window. <laughs> so then our outermost narrator says, when we put our astonished heads out of the window to look for him, he was already out of sight. <laughs> and that's the end. We don't yeah. know what, whether the guy was telling the truth or lying. We don't know why he ran away. We don't know why the police wanted to talk to the host about perhaps one of his guests, like maybe even the guy who jumps out the window. We don't know why our guy tells us this story. We don't know who he thinks he whom he thinks he's talking to and addressing us. The story is one about imagination taking us to other places and and competing imaginations. The imagination of the Lord Dunsany knockoff 
who says, who presumably wrote a story about Beth Mora, and this other imagination, presumably fueled by hashish. Well, maybe not. Maybe hashish is just the excuse he uses in his own made-up counter story. It's just <laughs> one story fighting another story. Uh, so we know who the hashish man is, I think. He's the guy who tells the story about going to Beth Mora on the wings of hashish instead of going on the wings of imagination. But but we don't actually know what's going on. But I like the story. And the reason I like yeah. it, if I may, um, is that it raises so many other issues about those very things, about Orientalism. Why do we have this Eastern thing about one's own background? Beth Mora sounds like Glockamora. Is it an Irish name set in a, quote, beautiful Oriental city? Um, and there's one, if I may, I'd, I'd like to read one one bit for us, um, because I think that that this is really um, something that that underlines the whole story thematically, although we don't get the answer. Um, this is from Midsummer Night's Dream, a very famous passage from the fifth act. And Theseus says this. The lunatic, the lover and the poet are of imagination all compact. One sees more devils than vast hell can hold. That is the madman, which, of course, may be the torture that we see going on in Beth Mora. The lover, all as frantic, sees Helen's beauty in a brow of Egypt, meaning uh, a, a dark-skinned person who would look as beautiful as a fair-skinned person. The racism is unavoidable there. The poet's eye, in the fine, in fine frenzy rolling, doth glance from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven, and as imagination bodies forth the forms of things unknown, the poet's pen turns them to shapes and gives to airy nothing a local habitation and a name. Uh, for example, Beth Mora. Mm -hmm. Such tricks hath strong imagination that if it would but apprehend some joy, it comprehends some bringer of that joy, or in the night imagining some fear, how easy is a bush supposed a bear. <laughs> so Shakespeare is really giving us what has become the classic statement that imagination can take us over, whether it's lunacy, love, or just poetry. And I would suggest that what this story is, is a fourth category, drug-induced lunacy. It's a drug trip, and we have to ask, does imagination simply make things beautiful, like that gorgeous lover, or does it bring bears out of the bushes that we would never see <laughs> without our imaginations? I love the fact that this story gets us questioning. It, it totally gets us questioning. It's it's a I found it a funny story too, not just a uh, you know an entertaining little you know diversion. But I I literally quote unquote laugh out loud <laughs> at a couple of points. Please. Um, uh, well, one of the one of the points is he gives this he gives this sort of crazy story about oh well let me start in a different place. Um, one of the things you you pointed out is that we've got the inner narrator and the outer narrator. The outer narrator is sort of our Lord Dunsany analog. I would go a little bit farther than that, saying that this is 
perhaps even supposed to be Lord Dunsany, in that here's a fact. Beth Mora is a real story written by Lord Dunsany two years prior to the publication of The Hashish Man in a magazine called The Review. <laughs> okay. So it literally is a story, and it has all of the elements that are mentioned in here, including the three mules, right, and uh, the Emperor Thuva Moline. And Lord Dunsany is a, a fairly well-known guy and, you know, writer at the time of his, his um, life. Um, so it is entirely possible that this incident could have happened, other than, like, maybe some of the, the facts that are related. So we can imagine, literally, Lord Dunsany at a party, um, having a stranger on his left, um, who says, oh, I read that story of yours, Beth Mora, and I've been there. <laughs> and this is immediately uh, going to throw us off, and he... Dunsany says, or has the narrator say, oh yes, we can imagine uh, Dunsany sitting at the table, having this man next to him say, oh yes, I've been, not only have I read your story, Beth Mora, but I've actually been to this fictional city that you invented for the story. And he says, uh, oh yes, as the man says, oh yes, I've been to your city. And slowly searched in my mind for something more fitting, acknowledging the compliment that his memory had paid for me. I was greatly astonished when he said, you are wrong about the Nusar sickness. It was not that at all. This is <laughs> doubly hilarious if you knew that, um, and I didn't know the first time I read it, that there was this other story that literally existed, right? That this wasn't a fiction story, perhaps, but rather sort of a vague travel log from a someone having visited a place in his dream right he he says well maybe it's a real city maybe it isn't without the internet who's to know <laughs> can we look it up right um it turns out that the internet of dreams um <laughs> allows if you've got enough hashish to travel to fictional cities that writers you might meet at a london dinner party <laughs> it's sure. just hilarious set up don't you think uh, i do but i think uh, i think it adds weight if one projects oneself back into 1910 and assumes that the readers of dunsany's collection will in fact know that beth mora is a story already published by by dunsany um but i think it's pretty clear that there is no beth mora and that all these things oh, are fictional. Uh, so it's sort of like, you know, the very first Sherlock Holmes story makes reference to a previous case. Uh, <laughs> well, but there, had, there were no previous cases, but, you know, you can just assume there were previous cases. And I think we can pretty much assume that the, the as you call him, uh, Dunsany analog, um, he knows darn well that there's no Beth Mora. That's right. Right. But this other guy is saying, oh, you got your fantasy wrong. How? Wait a minute, guys. It was <laughs> my fantasy. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's that's a very interesting question, because we as readers. We're reading what is not a Dunsany analog, but Dunsany's fantasy. He's writing this story for us and we have got to read it. And we can say a lot of things about it that are weird. Uh, maybe they are even laughable, as you're saying. But. We can't say they're wrong. I mean, it's it's his imagined world, right. and we are having it imposed on us if we are willing readers. And I think I think we are willing readers in part because his writing is so fluid. 
There are other kinds of funny things here, though. I love this. This comes out of nowhere. And that's one of the problems I have with the story or not problems. One of the things I note about the story is there are pieces that come out of nowhere and you wonder, well, why are they there? What did they do? But maybe it's in part to keep us alert and to enjoy it. So the inner narrator is saying, I followed as long as I could stay and found that they were going by the way of the desert round the hills of Hap towards Utnar Vehi. Okay, so his consciousness is trying to follow some people who are acting, you know, out there. Uh, how he knows all of this, uh, I don't know. And then I knew that the camel men belonged to Thubamlin. How he knows that, I don't know. And then he says, no transition. I work in an insurance office all day. That's right. And I hope you won't forget me if ever you want to insure life, fire, or motor. But that's no part of my story. I was desperately anxious to get back to my flat. So, I mean, out of nowhere, he just inserts this line reminding us that he's talking to the outer narrator. And, you know, by the way, I sell insurance. Well, you know, what is insurance? Insurance is a contract in which two people make a bet about which story is more likely. I bet that you are going to take a certain amount of time to die. And if you take at least that much time to die, I make money because I've held your premiums. You're betting that you're going to die before um, that, that critical point, and you'll get back more money than you would have if you had invested the premiums in some other way. you got two stories of your life. And when you come to an agreement about it, like, okay, I'm willing to go this far, then, you know, you guys both sign off and the story and you've got a shared story, but with different outcomes. And this guy, (laughs) he's saying, you know, what I do for a living is deal with these stories and you deal with stories. And I'm thinking, wow, you and I, Jesse, we've both read this story. We've signed off on it. I'm wondering if we're reading two different stories and we have two different outcomes. I don't know. Uh, that was the, that was my first uh, literal laugh out loud moment <laughs> because right before that he, he's he's you know saying how he he takes hashish, you know, that's how I go, went to Bethmora and then he he doesn't just go straight to Bethmora. He says, "Oh yes, I travel all all over the place." This is astral projection. I, I explained to my students when I talk about why astral projection was so big. Is before rocket ships, <laughs> people still knew that stars were far away, and that they could, if they wanted to, uh, if they wanted to travel the universe, they could do that with the imagination of rocket ships. They had to do it with the imagination of astral projection. And so uh, we have this man taking the hashish, which he tells uh, our Dunsanian narrator not to touch lest it uh, leave a uh, black tar uh, that doesn't come off for days. Right. right. Um, later we get a another character who a third sort of inner uh, narrator who we hear about and hear from uh, in brief who was the bl- sailor with the black scar. Right. Right. This is some. Some very cool stuff. But before he gets too deep into it, he says, I got the hashish from the gypsy who had a quantity that he did not want. And he says, it takes one literally out of oneself. It is like wings. You swoop. This also, when, I, when I'm seeing this, this is thinking about the narrator 
this is a story as well. It literally takes you out of oneself. It is like wings. You swoop over distant countries and into other worlds. Once I found out the secret of the universe. I've forgotten what it was. <laughs> but I know, I know that the creator, capital C, does not take creation, capital C, seriously. For I remember that he, capital H, sat in space, capital S, with all his, <laughs> H, capital H, his work in front of H, capital him, <laughs> and laughed. I've seen incredible things in fearful worlds. As it is your imagination that takes you there, so it is only by your imagination that you can get back. And that I, I love that this is some sort of axiom. Right. Right. Once out in the ether, I met a battered and prowling spirit that had belonged to a man whom drugs had killed a hundred years ago. That's very interesting. And he led me to a, to regions that I had never imagined. And we parted in anger beyond the Pleiades. This is very interesting. He parted in anger. And I could not imagine my way back. <laughs> and then he says, and I met a huge gray shape that was the, the spirit, capital S, of some great people. A whole civilization that took drugs and went into space, right? Perhaps a whole star. And I besought it to show me the way home. It halted, capital I, beside me like a sudden wind and pointed and speaking quite softly, <laughs> asked me if I discerned a certain tiny light. And I saw far, a far star faintly. And then it said to me, that is the solar system. And strode tremendously on. And somehow I just imagined my way back. And only just in time, for my body was already stiffening in a chair in my room. And the fire had gone out and everything was cold. And I had to move each finger one by Like, this is coming back into reality, right? Uh, each finger one by one. And there were pins and needles in them. And dreadful pains in the nails, which began to thaw. And at last I could move one arm and reached a bell. And for a long time, so yeah, this is a, a middle class man, right? He's taken drugs because his day job is an insurance salesman, right? Uh, so a terrible, boring job. He says he he read the story of uh, uh, Lord Plunkett in in a in a magazine called The Review, right? And he says, yeah, I'll go there in my hashish dream tonight, right? Or actually in the there's a nice play in the story between day and night as well. Those who dream by day, uh, the writers, and those who dream uh, by night. Um, that's actually in Beth Mura, the original story. The whole introduction to that is about how there's four million dreamers, right? And at night, it's so beautiful. Um, but in it, 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 that's a beautiful story. This is a funny re recasting of the whole story with <laughs> with a, a crazy man. Who says, yes, I, I visited that fictional place that you wrote about and you wondered why this city had become deserted? Oh, I know the answer. I'll tell you. But first, let me tell you about how I talk to God and how he thinks creation is, is crazy. Right. <laughs> oh, by the way, I sell insurance. And then we get to the end of the story and he's he's saying, yes, uh, the terrible tortures that they inflicted up, upon the uh, upon the uh, sailor with the, with the, the black scar and how – the torturers in order to uh the emperor thubla thuba mean uh, lean says oh there's a spirit in the room so a couple of the guards go off come back with bowls big enough to float a man's head 
<laughs> bowl a bowl big enough to float a man's head if it was filled uh, with blood. If it was filled with blood, but instead it's filled with hashish, and two of the torturers begin eating uh, handfuls uh, or spoonfuls, using two spoons each, scooping hashish into their mouth in order to perceive the ghost or the spirit of the inner narrator. Right. <laughs> and then, once they've drugged themselves up enough, they start chasing him, right? And then the, the, we go this way. Um, the energy in, in my minute lump of the drug was overwhelmed by the huge spoonfuls that these men had eaten with both hands. <laughs> I was whirled over Arval Wood, Wood, Woodery and brought to the lands of Sniff and swept on until I came to Caragua and beyond uh. this to those bleak lands that are known, uh, that are nearly unknown to fancy. <laughs> and of course, fancy is, um, you know, fantastic. Fancy, fancy is imagination. Right. right. And we came at last to those ivory hills that are named the Mountains of Madness. Uh, this is like, hey, that's where H.P. Lovecraft got his, his, uh, his Mountains of Madness, right? And I tried to struggle against the spirit of that frightful emperor's men, for I heard on the other side of the ivory hills that pittering of those beasts, they prey on the mad as he's going crazy as they prowled up and down it was no fault of mine that the little lump of hashish could not fight with a horrible spoonful and then someone was presently tugging at the bell right? <laughs> oh it's the cops <laughs> he jumps out the window he doesn't finish well, his well, story went, just before he jumps out the window he says it was this is going to be a fine night yeah. And he likes adventure uh, he likes i mean obviously this he had a very interesting entrance Right away. Oh, yeah, I know who you are. I've been sitting, sitting next to you the whole dinner and never <laughs> let on that I know who you are. Right. But now that we're alone, I know who you are. Right. And then at the end, he says, oh, well, you know, it has quite an interesting exit. It's going to be a fine night. He jumps out the window. Um, this is, I think, the, perhaps, perhaps the source of Lovecraft's The Mountains of Madness. This story is really rich with literary reference. And uh, literary foreshadowing. Uh, this is Stapledon before the fact. The mm -hmm. kind of, you know, disembodied consciousness that is crucial in Last and First Men and Star Maker is exactly what we get here, going out into space. But now in in um, Stapledon, which he does two books in 1930 and 1937, in, which is 20 and 27 years after this, in Stapledon, that disembodied consciousness would not be able to explore the universe were it not for the guiding spirits that help him. He can't do it just on his own. Well, indeed, here in the Hashish Man, he can't find his way back until somebody tries to get helps him, the spirit, that gray spirit, who puts him, you know, aims him right. Go for that faintly glowing star. Uh, you said that he comes back to reality, but I think, given the uh, the fiction of Beth Mora and all these other places being real, he doesn't come back to reality. He comes back to corporeality mm. because there is also a, an ecstatic reality that is outside of oneself, ecstasis, um, which is where all the action is in this story. Um, so it's not, it's, I don't think it's a story telling us we should go for drugs. I think it's a story telling us we should go for 
imagination. I mean, we don't want to become drug-induced lunatics. Whether or not we're lovers is a whole other issue, but we do want to feel ourselves in the hands of poets or maybe become poets ourselves. This story, I think, praises imagination. And when it gets too complicated and it gets too... uh, it uh, looks like real danger is about to to happen, as it does in Beth Moore, where that that soldier is being uh, that sailor is being tortured so terribly. Or when the police are about to uh, to to uh, grab you here in in Edwardian England. Um, no, no. You know, just run away. <laughs> if imagination gets too bad, just run away. Or in terms of what Dunsany has really provided for us. We can close the book. We can just close the book. By the way, those Ivory Hills, Mm -hmm. I think those Ivory Hills hearken to Homer, who tells us of the gates of ivory and the gates of horn. And the gates of horn are the ones that give us the real dreams, the dreams about our real world. They are scuffed and, you know, there's something um, corporeal about them. But the gates of ivory or the ones that give us the ideal dreams. It's in fact the source of our phrase ivory tower. Someone who's just an ivory tower thinker comes from this contrast of the two different ways to get into the spiritual world. And what Lord Dunsany has given us is a fellow who is escaping the the horrible bear in the bush, right? The the dangerous uh, imagination by going over and making use of his trip through the Ivory Hills. The ideal is so much nicer than the crashingly fatal real. And if the real gets too uh, too bad, why just jump out the window and run away? <laughs> well, there's always more to say. <laughs>